Let me explain. Strategy? Let's talk a little strategy, guys. What else could you possibly want? This whole thing's been kind of like, from a marketing perspective, has been about phases almost. So phase one was the stop what you're doing phase. And then phase two was kind of, I, we all saw it with the like compassion and community stuff, which was really important. Um, but I think everyone's getting a bit bored of that phase at the moment. So like you said, mentioned earlier, which I think you're right, is next comes the creativity phase because everyone's done the like the uh, the empty streets and the Zooming your grandparents and all that kind of stuff. So I think the next step is is, like you say, loosening up a bit mm-hmm. and actually trying to do some more interesting stuff being a bit less safe have you seen a bit of a change in tone and change of the way brands are looking to speak to their audiences uh yeah sorry before you maybe i should save this but i was just scrolling through linkedin whilst you were all talking we're clearly that interesting google has released a ar filter and if you type in french bulldog you can get you can look around your room and see like a moving real life size French bulldog and like the size of it in your room. So it's like eat a real life size French bulldog up close. You can view it in 3d. That is insane. My friend, my my flatmate's brother's staying with us and he actually did that and posted on a story. And I got so many people messaging me being like, Oh my God, you got a dog. And I was like, what? What are you on about? No. And then he was like, there's literally a dog in your living room. And I ran to my living room and I was like, what is going on? And it turns out it was just on his on his Instagram. Oh my God, that, that is I love that. so smart. I absolutely love that. Anyway, I think <laughs> back to... <laughs> I've locked my phone and all distractions are away. Um, no, I don't really think briefs have changed. I don't think the briefs have changed. I think the room maybe that's not even true either since they like the rooms we're getting into have changed but maybe it has like we're definitely being included much earlier on because we're uh, one of the only viable um platforms or like our our role as a a channel as a uh, like output of content is um Mm. more viable than any of the others so maybe that's what's changed. I don't think the briefs have necessarily changed. I think uh, it's maybe at what stage we're being allowed to see the briefs, if that makes sense. We're not now being yeah. that afterthought. We're included much earlier on, further up the funnel, because everything's being switched, everything's being changed. It's all going digital. There are really ballsy brands who are doing out of home still. And um, I, I know we're going to touch on it later, but looking at like the... Uh, what Burger King did with the billboards on the Zoom background and how, like, they've obviously spent a fuck ton of money putting their out-of-home ads on and they're, like, someone really smart in their strategy or creative team has gone, well, let's not waste this money. What can we do? How can we bring these two worlds together? I've always thought about that with Burger King. Do you reckon it's just one person who's just there and he's like the, or she's the absolute, the oracle and people just come up to them and like wait for them to, and they just say one word and that's the marketing. Yeah, there's someone very bloody smart whoever's doing that there. To be honest, I reckon it's the like, ideas like that can come from anywhere. I reckon they just have it so that they have a very liberal uh, marketing manager. So anyone can come up with an idea and it's got a chance, whereas a lot of places, there's a very small team of people that come up with all the ideas. So they tend to be um, the same quite often. But I feel like they've just got the decision maker is lenient. But the um, 
I reckon the ideas come from anyone. But do you reckon there is still a bit of a, a process? I mean, we have it a lot where we'll literally have brainstorming sessions where we'll all get on a on a Zoom or a Hangout and, and think of ideas. But Jago, maybe from your side, is there any is there a process that, that people should go through when coming up with these ideas and trying to have something that's relevant but also quite different? I think the answer is no. There, sh- there isn't a process to coming up with ideas. But there are things you can do if you're struggling to come up with an idea. So to have a good idea, you don't have to follow a process. However, if you're struggling to think of one, there are processes that you can follow, if you know what I mean. So interestingly, not being in the office, having spoken to a few people in our team. So obviously it's quite difficult not having like whiteboards and meeting rooms and being able to play around with stuff and and, uh, be kind of face-to-face collaborative. Um, it's difficult for some of us, but there are people in our team that have actually said that being in their own space and being able to kind of like um, turn off all distractions and um, not be surrounded by people all the time, they're able to like go into a bit deeper thought and go away and think about stuff and often like go out, go out for walks or like decompress a bit and actually come up with much better ideas and then regroup later on and then go through it on through Zoom or Google or whatever. Um, so in in terms of like difficulty now compared to before, like I say, some people, some situations it's better, some some situations it's worse. Um, but in terms of creative process, like, I don't know, there's different ways you can do it. It depends what you want to achieve. If you want to be funny, then you've just got to think what's funny. But if you want to be, if you want to resonate and like tick some boxes, you got to start with like research and insights and kind of build it from there and think really hard about what you're trying to achieve. Um, And on that, so Eliza, from your side, do you think that now more than ever the the insights into the platforms and everything is becoming a key factor when essentially having those creative ideas? I think before you could have a creative idea and then steer it towards whether you're putting it on out of home or you're doing um, digital marketing or whatever it may be, but now your ideas have to be quite specific to the current situation and the platforms that are useful now? Yeah, no, I think you have to really understand the changes that are happening. And there's so many different changes happening, like per platform, that you have to keep on top of all of them. I think in the example of Burger King, it was so good. It's because it was very reactive to what consumer trends were happening. Loads of people were on Zoom, video chatting. So Burger King found a way to make that into a way that they can reach their consumers in a fun way. Um, And that was really smart from them. Um, I think a lot of brands, they tend to copy each other. And I think if you can be like the leader and doing something very creative and get people talking about it, it's very, it's key in times like these. But yeah, I mean, each platform, there's all these updates happening like day by day, like Instagram, new stickers coming out left, right, center. There's so many of them. Um, So really understanding how you can utilize these new features into a really good strategy is really important. Eliza, would you say that your job has got easier or harder in that there's obviously a lot of stuff happening, but anything that's over a month old, whether it's a statistic or an update or something, how valid is that? Yeah, so things are coming becoming out of date so quickly. So a report that we did a month ago, completely useless now because everything has changed. Um, 
trends are happening like and then they're fading out so you kind of need to understand in real time what's happening and then it kind of feeds into if things have got a longer time and getting into um, fruition like you can't be so reactive so you kind of want to work with brands I guess that are quite reactive and do things straight away because if you have a strategy and then two months pass then that strategy may come out of out of date because maybe there's certain trends that are happening on different different platforms and you've kind of missed the boat so yeah I definitely think the the amount of information you have to consume now because there's so many changes is the challenge and then you do this report you've got them solid information and then then there's like a timer on it for it to be useful or not. See, what's interesting is we're work, we're working on a lot of different types of briefs at the moment. And some of them are like, uh, they're wanting to go live in a matter of weeks or days. But we're still in those, like Sophie was saying, we're in those rooms where we're much further ahead. And we're looking at like, we're, we're working on stuff at the moment that's like back end of Q3, Q4. Um and it's really, really hard to think that far forward. When I, I personally can't think much farther forward than the next week or the week after. Yeah. And especially when we're trying to think about um, like CPMs and creatives and trends and what is and isn't acceptable. And um, so, yeah, it is quite difficult. And like I said, we're, we're kind of, our team is also work, almost working on two completely different things. One of which being the the here and now and one of which being the, the future planning, which takes kind of two different mindsets. It's really bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, we've got one client now that is, it's all around food delivery service and they're in a space where they want to get out content as soon as possible because they're a bit worried that if Boris kind of um, reduces the rules a bit more, people are now going to start being a bit more comfortable going into store and actually buying. So they're wanting to try and get out as much content, especially on the paid side to not necessarily not not profit from it but um to offer their services in a time that people still need it and i think we're at a bit of a watershed moment now where he might loosen the rules as you said i don't think it'll be as big as as people are are hoping for um but i think it is a bit of a watershed moment and i think it's gonna gonna change a bit i mean i think nobody kind of knows how everybody's going to react to if things do open up again so, I mean, in other countries, they're, like, loosening up different things. So one of my friends works for Doc Martens, and one of their stores opened up in another country, and they had, like, very, very poor sales in, their, in the opening of their physical store because the trust isn't there to go back out. So I think one of the major barriers that's going to happen if things do open up again, I don't think the public is going to trust going out so quickly. I mean, even, like, if you ask any of us, do we feel like it's too soon to open things up? The answer is probably yes. So, yeah, are people going to be willing? It's it's one of those things where like we we've had a massive massive shock, um, and things change very very quickly, and including consumer behaviours. But to get back to normal, no matter what restrictions or rules or whatever you put out there, the consumer behaviours themselves are going to take a lot longer than the restrictions to go back to normal. So like you say, no one's going to be rushing to go to a Doc Martin store next week if if, if we're allowed. Um, our priorities have kind of changed a bit. And I think the convenience of online shopping, I think a lot of people have been forced to shop online and understood how convenient and how um, far gone this process is. In fact, that it's so easy to just order something. I think a lot yeah. of people that didn't have to do the online ordering and they just stayed in their bubble of going to a store 
picking up their item when then forced to online shop and found out like the perks of it it's easy it's so efficient and then like the whole push on AR um the barrier of having to try something on you can't try on online people are finding different solutions to this issue really quickly it's a bit weird now and in these last few weeks as you were kind of saying so there's there's been a, a change and it is constantly changing and it's weird how i don't know how you guys feel but it seems like lately there's been a lot of longer form content so youtube just seems to be a a big platform for brands to partner with youtubers and and creating content i don't know if maybe it's because it it takes a bit longer and maybe those plans were put in place at the start and it's just taken longer to create that type of content but um I mean, we've got a few examples. I don't know if you guys want to touch on them, but the PewDiePie stuff, the David Dobrik stuff, um, Mr. Beast, your your massive YouTubers who are now coming to the party and working with brands and putting out content. Yeah, I mean, YouTubers um, have a great opportunity to um, reach a lot of people. There's a lot of power in YouTubers because people are basically very loyal fans to these people. They've got huge loyal audiences and brands are smart to kind of align themselves to these 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 creators so i mean david dobrik one of the biggest creators came over from vine he recently did an ea partnership um so his usual content is he loves to do like crazy giveaways to the people within his friendship group and like strangers um so in this partnership with ea he gave away like a car um some uh, playstation yeah exactly and And like ten thousand dollar checks yeah like crazy like i did it on like frisbees and stuff exactly yeah yeah. i think what's unclear about this is the way he does his videos is it's almost framed as if i got this sponsorship money but i'm giving it all away and what i found when watching this video was was he claiming that this video was sponsored by EA and he's giving away all of his money to make this video or EA gave him, paid him to create this video and then gave him all of this money and all of these goods to do it? Like, that's what I found. I imagine they gifted him the Playstations, but I find that really, like, the disclosure, I know the disclosure in the US is very different to how it is in the UK, but these like youtubers who are looking at like PewDiePie, yeah. David Dobrik, Mr Beast like we know these influencers cost a fucking shitload of money. Mm. So, I don't know. I think on that note like we know they cost so much money. So, if yeah. people are saying they're not spending in that space or thing is though for someone like David Dobrik like whether EA are paying for it or not, he will be making money one way or another. And also he is doing good and building his personal brand and he's getting talked about across all platforms. And I don't know whether he was getting ad revenue from that, but whatever the situation, yeah, but it's like, you get to do something good. You get to make a brand look good. Um, and yeah, you, the, the, the benefits are so great. It doesn't really matter where the money's coming from. Yeah. One thing I did love about that stuff is that like, it wasn't often when you see integrations or, or sponsored videos there, they're kind of feature focused and they're, they're in depth about products and why you need things and, and all that. But it was literally, oh, thanks to EA for letting me do this. And then he went yeah. and did it. They let so him just the re- do his own thing. Yeah. So the return in terms of like, oh, uh, hitting the like core brand values and like uh, the communicating all the USPs and stuff is low. But the sentiment around EA from that tiny, tiny mention 
it's huge. Like if you were to do a survey before and after and say, oh, what do you think of EA as a brand? I guarantee the majority of people that saw that video would think that they're a lot nicer than they were before. But then what what do you think from, I mean, like obviously the, the three that we've mentioned here are the three biggest YouTubers. And as you said, Soph Costa, a lot of money. I think what um, I said, Carl, actually was a fucking shitload. Uh, yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry. I forgot that that was the, that's that's the, that's what we put on the contract when we say we're going to pay them. <laughs> um, but then, but then how can, how can smaller brands who are still wanting to be relevant and use YouTube, like, are you, like, we, okay, we know that YouTube is the more expensive platform. It is, it is, does cost more to make the longer form content, but is there ways that small, or are there ways that smaller brands can utilize YouTube to, to stay relevant and to put out content that's not going to cost them a fucking shit ton of money? I mean, like any other platform, there's, there's smaller influencers that are starting their way. There's definitely ways of showing your content and promoting your brand through YouTube. It's just finding the right the right size influencer who's the right fit for your brand. Like not every brand needs to go for the top creators. There's some uh, there's a load of really great mid-tier creators who are like mid-size, like uh even like 100k 100k subscribers. Like there's a load of them out there that do great content and they're on the rise. And even dropping below that like 40k subs. Like there's a lot of great creators coming to the platform. And the beauty with YouTube is a lot of creators want to be on this platform. So they may have a, a very like developed uh, platform on, such as Instagram and then they move over to YouTube because there's the monetization factor. But there's a load of great creators. It's not just like the really huge creators on there. And you'll find that a lot of these people who may have a smaller subscriber base, they have a very loyal viewership. And that's so important. So if you can hit that like really loyal viewership, you, you've already done the job you've even though it's a smaller pool than what you'd get with like David Dobrik you're still hitting that that market essentially I think you can you can learn from the bigger ones though so when you're a massive YouTuber like the guys we've mentioned you have all the power like you can in in the case of the EA video they from the sounds of it would have very very little creative direction in that um, and the outcome was a brilliant video and great coverage um, the problem is when you move down the scale, the power shifts from the influencer to the brand. Um, so the, the, the control then goes to the brand and then the restrictions come in and then the ability to be creative and do cool shit like that video, um, reduces. So I think the lesson to be learned is that no matter the size, if you give people freedom, they can do cool stuff. And do you guys think that, I mean, so then going on to the Mr. Beast um, example that obviously wasn't necessarily around a brand it was obviously helping the the world health organization um and it was more around the actual influencers or the the, the fame of it um raising the money they raised seven and a half million dollars um do you think if it had been a brand pushing that do you reckon they would have got as much or do you think because it was a bit more organic it, it was able to really raise that shit ton of money i think it would it would depend on the um the what the brand wanted to get out of it if they were uh like i kind of said earlier if if they were really really wanted their brand to be forefront of the whole thing and wanted you to talk about them in a certain way or wanted you to focus on a certain part of their business um then probably not but if you basically act as an enabler and say look we're gonna help you to do this 
or, or do whatever you want to do, then there is potential to bring other people on board. So you've got to think when you look at an influencer, you don't just think about them as an individual. You've got to think about their network um, and who they can get to and and whether they're part of like a, a group or their collaborators or they're just part of a community. If you allow them to do something cool and open up a platform like the the Mr. Beast Rock, Paper, Scissors competition, they will inevitably get their friends involved and then you instantly get more coverage so again i think it's about kind of letting the reins go a little bit and thinking about not what you can pay an influencer to do but think about how can you get them excited and get the people around them excited and then you get even more return on investment i also think to note on that mr beast was like the perfect person to do something like this because He's he got known for doing these crazy uh, fundraisers and giveaways for charity. He used to do them all over Twitch. Um, his he like that's how people know him. So it was like a perfect person to do this. I don't know if if people would get that kind of money if he used anybody else. Maybe like David Dobrik or something like that. But he was so perfect for this because this is like his bread and butter. This is what he does. He's so good at these crazy like fundraising and giveaways kind of thing this is like the perfect combination to raise like that amount of money yeah and i think that's where brands really need to realize that sometimes there are strategies and there are mechanics that do work best when there isn't a brand attached to it and i think we get this quite a lot is where brands will come to us and they'll go i don't know for example oh we saw the world breaking egg would like was awesome can we do something that's exactly the same as that and you're like, well, no, if, if, if that was like, let's say Oreo was like, oh, let's make the, the most followed Oreo picture, people wouldn't really engage with it because they know it's, it's branded. And I think um, people just see right through it. And I think brands really need to realize that sometimes those sort of plans just work so well because they are natural and organic and they're not being pushed by a brand. But I think it's, yeah. it's, okay. It, it, it's okay to be behind stuff, not at the front of it. Um, yeah. So like you could be behind something like that, but, and, and you get like kind of re- residual benefit from, from uh, supporting these things or setting them up, but you need to kind of let go of the fact that the first thing people think of might not be our brand, but eventually, eventually it will come back that it was us that did it. Um, rather than being like, right, we want to go with a heavy branded message. If you say, right, let's do something cool. Let's try and break a record. Let's try and, let's allow someone to do something that's never been done before. Um, as long as you're willing to take a back seat, then you will reap benefits anyway. Yeah, I guess it's you showing that you're supporting this cause rather than driving it. It's the same as what EA did. They were like, okay, look, we're going to support you to do this, to go and do what you do best and give back to the community and, and raise money and, and everything. Um, we're not going to be the ones of saying, oh, look what we're doing with, with David Dobrik. Um and I think that's that's quite key, and I think that filters down to the to the smaller brands, um, especially in this in this situation. Like, not all brands need to be making PPE and and giving it to hospitals. Like, with if gyms are suspending their um, their payments for a few months, that's going to help people, and that's going to have benefit to to their to their audience and to their customers. Um, I think it's it's seeing what you can do for your audience and then how you can partner with certain influencers to then amplify that conversation. Yeah, mm, I think the worst thing. You, sorry, Kara. Sorry, I think the worst thing you can do is is do nothing. I think 
if you can do something do it I think this is the time to make a difference and get people talking about what you're doing I think if brands just sit here and just do nothing you're gonna people are gonna forget about you basically so when you go next into a store you're going to be thinking about that brand that did that amazing content or did that great partnership during this during the time of COVID-19 and those other brands you don't hear about because you haven't they haven't done anything they're kind of the back of your mind and it's all about bringing that bringing when you go into a shop the first brand you see you kind of remember the content that you last saw from them and then you're more likely to get that person to pick up that item and buy it so I think that's really important to note as well I think from a from a long-term perspective like a lot of people aren't doing stuff now um a lot of people are but you got to think in terms of like you can make a small loss now and continue to continue to try and do some cool stuff and if it was me I'd be looking forward to Q4 and thinking if I do nothing now and wait until Q4 and then start uh trying to make my money then you'll be behind whereas if you do some stuff now um and kind of be like hey look we're still here um we're still supportive like we're still interesting we're still fun um and then when we're hopefully things are relatively back to normal and we're in q4 the biggest biggest quarter of sales then you can ramp it up and it's like you never left whereas some people are going to be trying to to start up again in q4 as if nothing ever nothing as if nothing happened um and i think the people the the people that win now are the ones that are going to win Q4, basically. Yeah, I agree. All right. And then, um, I mean, just moving a bit more towards actual creative ideas and not necessarily brand-led stuff, um, around the whole kind of virtual events and how people have started to realize, well, there's certain things that are still going on that can't just be paused. So things like graduations and proms um, and turning them into live events. And do, I don't know, uh, proms a thing in the UK? Proms? Uh, do you, uh, do you guys yeah, have a bit. Yeah. Can you can you run us through what what exactly is happening? Like, what's happening? Where is it happening? Who's doing it? Basically, TikTok did a virtual prom event, and then the other platforms sort of decided to do something as well. So Facebook announced a virtual graduation event, which does sound quite cool because they've got like the likes of Oprah Winfrey doing a commencement address, which is crazy. Um, and then YouTube is now doing its own celebration of it as well. So it's kind of like a, a domino effect of all these big platforms creating a the ability to host these massive graduation events. It's obviously like a US focus. But um, yeah, I think it's it's good to do. It's good that they're not doing anything and they're, they're like not allowing barriers to stop these events. But I mean, it's I don't know if it's going to be a... Re- it's definitely not going to be a replacement for an actual graduation or an actual prom so i think the most like british be- thing is that our equivalent of platforms doing that is that the bbc have got like celebrities on board to be people's teachers and we've got uh like david attenborough being people's geography teachers so like in the us they've got proms being streamed on facebook and we're like we're gonna have david attenborough teaching people geography i also a part of me thinks that it's a it's a land grab it's like all of these platforms know that the next, um, like the, the, the highest value audience of the next 10 years are the people that are graduating right now. So they're all basically scrambling to be like, look, we're the most relevant platform. We 
care about you we're here like it, it's like they're making a land grab for the audience and they're basically fighting to be like the most relevant platform at that time because they know how valuable these 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 people are going to be um so they're getting all of these all the this these talent and celebrities that these people care about and it's it's quite competitive almost it's almost like they're capitalizing on the event i know it's a really nice thing to do um and a lot's gone into it but if to be a cynic i'd say that they're they're kind of fighting for relevance at the moment yeah i think you can see this with like so youtube have signed a massive deal with pewdiepie so all his live content goes through youtube um to their live streaming um and you see this with like the streaming platforms like last year had a massive massive fight and massive grab for power so obviously ninja moved over to mixer followed by shroud and taken away from Twitch, and you kind of see these platforms fighting for the top creators because they want to bring over these huge audiences and keep these huge audiences on their platform because they're essentially going to make money out of that. Yeah, I've noticed that YouTube are now at the front of Mr. Beast videos. It says YouTube Originals. So does that mean that they've now bought the content? Essentially, how you have like Netflix Originals? Have they? Do they now own that content as if it is like a, a series? Um, well, I, what I do know is they've done YouTube originals for quite a long time. So they basically onboard creators to make it specifically for, to highlight, they're like highlighted on the YouTube main, uh, main page. Um, they obviously would have got a lot more money to do that. And it gets highly produced as well, quite a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, they've been doing it for a couple of years, well, probably more than that now, um, with every top creator, just making sure that um they're behind the top people on their platform and i think it's it's not only like a financial thing it's knowing that that creator is backed by youtube and youtube recognizing them as a vital talent i think is so important as well for keeping and retaining people on the platform as well yeah well it's a good thing i'm on the sales side and not on the inside side because i wouldn't i did, did not know that so um that's really interesting um I think before before we we end up and, and wrap up and go and clap for the NHS because um, it is nearly eight o'clock. Um, just to touch back on to the the whole Burger King thing that, that we've we've briefly alluded to and um, spoken about how they added billboards into Zoom backgrounds. Do we think if another brand did that, it would still be as effective? Um, maybe another brand that has the same kind of tongue and cheek approach, but. I th- do you not think that because it's Burger King, it like it was spoken about and everyone thought, oh, that's really witty, that's very great, but oh, that's great. But if it was another brand, would it have worked as well? Well, I think they were. They, I think you have to be quite a big brand for this to work because they launched it on their Twitter um, and got people to save the backgrounds that they had on uh, a link from Twitter, um, and then people would re-upload their screenshots of them using it on Twitter. So I think. It, it worked because they had a they had an audience on that platform. I think if a really small brand tried to do it, they would have to do it a different way because Burger King are such a big name. They've got they've already like established their audience on that platform. So they had the accessibility to like distribute that campaign effectively. I'll also argue that I think I've always always thought that Burger King are marketers for marketeers. So they mm. everything they do is talked about most by us. And I often think, how much does impact does it actually have on a consumer? Um, because like everything they've ever done, well, not everything they've ever done, but a lot of things they've done have, have been amazing and really, really been celebrated by like kind of our community and our profession. But 
I don't think that means that another brand can't do it. It might not fly with us, but that doesn't mean the consumers won't like it. I think Ryan Reynolds is like really his He's brand with, with Mint Mobile. He's like really the next big, I don't know how to explain it. I guess like that like revolutionary marketing where it's not revolutionary, but he's doing something totally different. He And by totally different, it's just that he doesn't seem to care that much about what it is, so he's not scared to put stuff out there. So everything he does is really jokey and tongue-in-cheek and like they just recorded the the new ad that they were really open and said, like, mm. yeah, we, we started recording an ad, couldn't finish it, so now here I am. And it was all of those, like... It is marketing for marketers. Like he's going through his deck and he's saying, I've now got 19 different versions of a thank you slide. And like to the general public, that's probably not funny, but he knows the clout he can get from the people Mm. high enough up in marketing who will be like, this is great. Or the shareability within that community is maybe perceived as more powerful than the normal consumer. I don't really know. I think it comes a little bit comes back to what I was saying earlier about how if you're big enough, you have the power. So those big YouTubers can kind of do what they want. Whereas he is the star of, of whatever businesses he's involved in. He is the star of the show. So he can do whatever he wants. And if you're clever enough and funny enough, 99% of the time, what you do is amazing and it has got traction. But if a, if the brand had control and told him exactly what he had to do, there's no way it would have been that good. Yeah, um, definitely. So I think, I think it all comes he, back he, to the power. Yeah, he led it. He he stuck to his guns and what he was good at, um, and I I think that's worked for him. And I think brands need to realize that it works for him, but doesn't necessarily work for everybody else. And they've got to find their own tone of voice and their own way of doing that. Um, yeah, I mean we've got we've got about ten seconds until everybody starts clapping in the background. Um, <laughs> you guys down in the countryside, maybe not as loudly as me in the middle of middle of London. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Thanks so much, guys. I think this has been a really interesting one. It's just 45 minutes has really flown by. Um, oh, I can hear the clapping. Hear the clapping. So we're going to have to go <laughs> off and clap. Um, but next week, we'll be back, um, hopefully after some good news from Boje on the weekend. Um, hopefully a bit of change, seeing some new marketing stuff go out. So, yeah, looking forward to next week. I'll see you guys on Monday. Let me explain. Strategy? Let's talk a little strategy, guys. What else could you possibly want?